It was great to see everyone this morning. Um, we miss those that are watching online, but we're glad you can join us that way. Feel free to comment and say hi to each other online, and I get to read those later, so that's always fun. Um, just because we want to be community. Even though we can't always all be together, we still want to be community and encourage community. I want to start this morning with a question. We're talking about being family. And so a lot of, a lot of the things that we're talking about also apply to the nuclear family. But we're talking about church family because that is the, the wording that's used in the New Testament to describe us. And so the question is, do we really believe we're family? And this morning we're going to get into one of those, those topics that kids hate. And those that are teens here, I just apologize up front. We're going there. Responsibilities and chores, okay? What are some chores that you had growing up in your homes? Clean the bathroom, right? Someone needs to. <laughs> Take out the trash, okay? Do dishes, clear the table. Mow the lawn. <laughs> Milking the cow at night. Um, I did not grow up with that one, just saying. <laughs> no, but yeah, chores. And on a farm, you probably had more chores than, than most. Others. Pick up after the dog. <laughs> that definitely is a chore for, um, that's a great one for teens. <laughs> Any other weird ones? So, so we have chores in a family. Why do we have chores in a family? To learn a work ethic, to get because it needs to be done to get it done. Amen, right? And and as a family, you share in the responsibilities of getting it done. I promise you that those that are kids here and teens, it is not just to annoy you and to make you suffer. That is not why we give chores. That may be a side benefit, but that is not why we give chores. It is to to build this work ethic. It needs to be done. And as part of a family, we share the responsibilities. Because if you just come and are part of a family and expect to just reap all the rewards of family and eat and have a place to, to, to stay and get love from a family, and, and if you expect not to contribute in any way to the family's responsibilities, that's called being a guest with servants. That's not called being a family. And in fact, it, it really comes, comes back to being pretty involved in self. If I expect everyone else to serve me and I'm not willing to be part of that, but being a family says we share the responsibilities. And, and it's not just mom and dad putting them all on the kids or the kids just doing nothing. We share the responsibilities of the family because certain things have to get done for the family to work. If no one ever washed the dishes, I, I guess you get all kinds of unique flavors the next time you eat and the time after that. But no, no. That has to be done. Someone cooks. Someone um, has to do laundry because we are all thankful that you do laundry. And, and so these are just responsibilities that have to happen. The other thing is I think of responsibilities in the family is d being part and sharing the responsibilities is a sign of maturity in a family, right? So we have baby Holly and baby Audrey here this morning. Chances are they are not sharing a lot of the responsibilities of the family yet right? The slackers. Yeah, so if you guys could get on that, you know, and, and um, <laughs> no, we don't expect that. Why? Because they're babies. Because they haven't increased to a level of maturity and capability physically of being able to do such. 
But as our kids get older and as they're able to do more, then they show maturity by, by participating in those responsibilities. And actually, it's, it's vital that we do that so that we are training a mindset that's other-focused, that's group-focused, family-focused, rather than just me-focused. This morning, we're going to talk about the responsibilities of a church. And if the church is a family, and we, we already know it is, just like the nuclear family, then in the same way, we share responsibilities in the church. And we share the, what needs to be done. Now, we'll talk about ministry another week. This morning, when we talk about responsibilities, I'm talking very specifically about the responsibilities of the mission of the church. Okay? What are our main things? What are we to be about as a church? And, and we know part of our vision statement is we are going to disciple our communities for Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. That's the big thing. And we broke that down on Vision Sunday to, to seeking Christ and doing his work. Those are our main things. And so as we think through responsibilities, and these, this is part of our membership covenant, what we should be as a family, then we should all be participating in that responsibility. If that's the most important thing of what God has called us to do, then we're called to be part of that. We're called to be undistractedly part of that, undistractedly part of family and sharing in those responsibilities. Last week, as we started our membership covenant, sort of just guidelines of how we should act as a church family, we talked about protecting the unity of the church and having our hearts knit together as we pursue a common focus, as we can pursue a common purpose. We talked about we do that by acting in love toward each other, by refusing to gossip and instead practicing forgiveness, by intentionally encouraging others in church family, and by following the leaders. And hopefully you had opportunities to do some of those things this week. Uh, I know uh, there were some notes of encouragement that were greatly encouraging to me, and, and just a joy to see you following through on that. And so today we'll talk about, I will share in the responsibility of God's church, and that's number two there because we're in a four-part series I will share in the responsibility of God's church. Now, again, there's many responsibilities. Setting up chairs and sound and the crew that does that do a wonderful job. But this morning, how do we share in the big responsibility of seeking God and doing his work? So we're going to look at five different things very specifically. There's a ton more, but we only have time for five this morning. And um, so we're going to go there. One other thing, as we talk about responsibilities of God's church, I encourage you to think of the difference between chores and responsibilities. And, and in action, they may be the same thing, but for me, the attitude behind each is different. When, when I think of chores, when I think of chores growing up, when I talk about chores with my family, the response can easily be with a chore, oh, man, why do I have to do that? Oh, that's, that's work. That's a chore. Isn't that how we use chore? Something we don't like to do, but we're forced to do. A responsibility is different. The attitude of a responsibility is different because it's saying, I choose to do this because this is just part of being a family. This is part of what it means to be family, and I love my family, and I'm going to contribute, and I'm going to participate. And so as we talk today, don't think of these as chores. Pastor Ron said, I have to pray. Pastor Ron said I have to, to share the gospel or, or think about that, look for opportunity. Think of these as this is what family does. And this is what it means to share in it and not just leave it up to one person or two people. 
And so we start with, I will share the responsibility of God's church, the first letter, letter A, by praying for its growth and for my church family. By praying for its growth and my church family. And if you notice there, in, in praying for the church, we have two parts, two different aspects, right? You have the big picture here of praying for the church as a whole. And, and I think of praying for village and our mission and purpose of village. But then there's also Ruba this. <coughs> there's also space in this to pray for the, the church universal, the church across America, the church around the world. But we want to pray specifically, as we're talking about our church family here, pray for village. Pray for our growth. And by growth, I don't mean pray for 1,000 people by next week. Numbers isn't what it's about. Souls that are following Christ is what it's about. Disciples that are deepening their walk with Christ is what it's about. And if every person here listening and on the lawn is closer to Christ next week, then we've grown as a church family in beautiful ways. At the same time, we should be praying that more people get adopted into the family, right? That people accept Christ, that people come to know the beauty of God's salvation, the life-bringing power of God's salvation. And so we pray for growth. We pray for the church as a whole. But then we also pray for church family, for each other. I'm responsible as part of the family to pray for every person sitting here right now. Maybe not every day because I can't remember everyone every day, and, and so I use lists and things to help an, an old memory. But thinking of church family, what needs are there? What spiritual needs are there? How can I, I pray for people as they walk with God? And so these are responsibilities of a healthy church, responsibilities of being part of the church family. Pray for the church Pray for the church family. We're following the example of the first church in Acts 2, 42, where we have a simple verse that says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, so the word of being together in community, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so one of the big four of what's, what showed that this church was thriving was prayer. Praying for the church, praying for each other. I want to go through some of the passages again like last week, the sword drill time. And so feel free to look. They're all in your notes. Feel free to look, at them, look them up ahead if you want. But what's interesting is those two thoughts of praying for God's church and God's people are intertwined in all these. So I don't have like one verse about praying for the church, one church for one verse about praying for people. But I want to, as we go through this, listen for, for how it says to pray and listen for ideas of how to pray for each other in the church. Sometimes we get stuck praying because, like, I don't know how to pray. I, I'm supposed to pray for Joe this week. I have no clue how to pray for Joe. Yeah, I do because we talk. But um, if I didn't know how to pray, that could be an obstacle to prayer. And I'm hoping these verses give us some ideas to think beyond physical needs, which are great to pray for, but think beyond those and let's get even more significant in our prayers to pray for people's souls and pray for people's walk with God. So the first verse we want to look at is Romans 1, 8 through 10. Verses 1, 8 through 10. And, and what I've done is you can write all these down, but I've also listed at the bottom of this section ways to pray for the church, ways to pray for each other that really summarize all these verses. And I didn't even put blanks in those because I want that to be a resource you can go back to. Romans 1, 8 through 10. 
Listen to Paul's prayer for the church at Rome. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. And in this beautiful prayer, we see by his example so many different things right up front. The first is, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. And prayer includes thanksgiving. Sometimes we think of prayer as I need to go ask for stuff. I need to go ask my genie for, to, to do some things for me. And that's not what prayer is about at all. Prayer is reorienting our will and our mind to God's and to coming to him in relationship. And so Paul starts with thanksgiving. Thanking God for the church there, thanking God for the people there, and for the testimony in the world. And so right from the start, if we're trying to figure out how to pray for each other, how to pray for the church, a great starting point is what can I be thankful for? What can I be thankful for in each person? And so if I'm going to pick on Joe a little bit again this morning, but if I'm praying for Joe, maybe one of the first places to start is, man, I'm thankful for his work with with those that are in need at the church. I'm thankful for his work on the elder board. I'm thankful for his friendship and care for other people. That then, is, those are prayer. That's praying for each other. And that now begins to orient my mind to think like Christ. When I think of the church, this one applies to the church as well, being thankful for village, being thankful for different ministries and different aspects that have been meaningful to you, what God is doing through village. Those are all putting this into practice. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. It's interesting in here, we also see words like all of you here and and later, um, without ceasing, I mention you in the plural. And the idea here is that Paul is, is praying for the whole church, the entirety of the church, each person involved but also praying without ceasing, which we have in, in 1 Thessalonians as well and later, and we're going to see it in other verses. Prayer for each other should be just part of life, a normal part of life. Praying for the church, praying for each other, isn't a checkbox that I do for three minutes each morning and then, good, don't have to think about God's church anymore. Moms, dads, do you think about your kids more than five minutes in the morning? Yeah. If you know they're going through stuff, do you pray for them throughout the day? Are your hearts turned to them? That's the image if we think of the church as a family. You know, when, when we hear that someone else in the church family is going through something, our hearts should be turned to that. We should be praying for them throughout the day. And that's where, where, why Paul says in verse 9 there that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. And later we'll, we'll see that same thing. And so these are just aspects of how we pray for each other. You see in verse 8 there again, I, I thank God for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. That's praying for the growth of the church. That's praying for the mission that, that God would be proclaimed throughout the world. And so we want to pray for the church to be on task, on mission, sharing the gospel. We want to pray for each other that we would be able to share the gospel. Later on in verse 10, I mention you always in my prayers. I think that's an illusion just for praying for each other's needs too. 
It's okay to pray for each other's physical needs. We should pray for each other's physical needs. In fact, if you're on Facebook and you're not part of the Village Private Group, become part of the Village Private Group. So many, and we can add you, so many prayer requests are shared there and so many needs are shared there. And so I can, I, sometimes I use Facebook as my prayer list for Village because I can just scroll through and, and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray for this person. We're going to pray for this person. And that's how I can keep track of, of some of those needs. I also love the end of this passage, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul is praying for opportunities for community. He's praying for opportunities to come together for fellowship. And so when we think of village, we want to pray for community, pray for unity, pray that God would be doing a work here and bringing us together as family. It's Romans 8, 1, 8 through 10. Like I said, we're going to hit several of these, and there's so many more on prayer we could talk through. Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Turn to Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. And just to give some context, these verses immediately follow the instructions on spiritual warfare and to put on the armor of God. And so Paul has just said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. And he brings in that, that we are in a spiritual warfare. Do you guys feel that sometimes? You feel that daily? We are in spiritual warfare in this fallen Genesis 3 world. And so he's just said, put on, put on all these various forms of armor and, and use the sword of the Spirit. The very next verse is 18. And I think we do this verse a disservice if we separate it from its context. The context is that this is part of spiritual warfare. And this is part of victory in spiritual warfare. Paul writes, praying at all times in the spirit, there's the pray without ceasing, so it's a, a part of everyday life, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so Paul here is saying, oh man, if we're going to have victory in spiritual warfare, we need to be praying at all times in the spirit for each other. All prayer and supplication, needs and their spiritual walks and, and spiritual victory, Perseverance, not stopping, not getting tired of doing it. Making supplication for all the saints. Again, seeking to pray for everybody. Not just a subset, not just the people I like at Village, but praying for everyone here. And so we see that there's, there's an example here of praying for the protection in spiritual battles. Praying for church family. You know, I, I don't have to know someone's details to pray for them in this way, right? I could pray for someone and say, Lord, I don't know what they're going to face this week, but I know they're going to face some spiritual battles. And so I pray that they would seek you in those, that they would honor you in those, that they would ground themselves in your word, and that they would have victory by trusting you instead of the evil one in this fallen world. I can pray that for someone without even knowing their situation. And so not knowing someone is a really poor excuse to not pray for them. When we start to understand the bigger, more important things, we can pray for. And so Paul here is praying for them in the context of spiritual warfare. And then in 19 and 20, he gets really open and asks for prayer, and, and a little vulnerable, I think, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
and Paul, who we think of as the boldest of bold, I, I don't think of Paul needing prayer for boldness. He's asking for it. And so the example here is we pray for each other to share the gospel boldly. We pray for each other that there would be opportunities for the gospel, and we'd take advantage of those opportunities and not go home that night and say, oh, man, I should have said something there. This is so much, so much more powerful to do as community rather than by yourself, to pray for each other, to encourage each other. Colossians 4.3, you can write in your notes. That's another great verse to explore that even further. But Paul is asking for prayer for the gospel, prayer for boldness. And so I can pray for each of you. I can pray that when you're in the grocery store this week, you'd have opportunity to share the gospel. I can pray that at work, you'd have opportunity to show and share the gospel. I can pray for you with your neighbors. Now, what happens when we start praying this way? It's, it's really cool. When we start praying this way, we start to make what's important to God important to us. And it changes our mindset. I guarantee if you're praying for others that they'll take advantage to share the gospel of opportunities, I guarantee that you'll see more opportunities that you can share the gospel. It's how it works, and it's awesome. Because we begin to reorient our mind to follow God's. So that's Ephesians 6. Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and 3. Again, it's a prayer at the beginning of a book. Paul starts his book so many times with prayer or describing what he's praying for someone. It's that important. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you. And by now you should see, okay, there's the Thanksgiving again. All of you, there's the community again. Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. There's the pray without ceasing again. Three gives us some more insight of how to pray for each other. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we could take that, and we, we talked about this when we studied 1 Thessalonians. Part of my prayer for you should be your faith, that you would stand strong and you'd hold that firmly, your love for each other, that you would not lose heart in doing good, that you would find ways to love each other, and for the hope you have in Christ that you would not lose heart, but you would know that Christ is coming back and that Christ is giving strength. If I could summarize all those, we're to pray for each other to grow in Christ. Physical needs, yes, but let's move beyond those as well to deeper things, more important things like spiritual needs to walk with God. Colossians 1, 9, and 10 gives some more ideas, and you can write that in your side notes too. A lot of verses we can't get to, but Colossians 1, 9, and 10 basically says, pray for each other in your walk with God, but to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so all of these things, we should be praying for each other's spiritual growth. James 5, 16. I'll just read this one quickly. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And that's, that's in the context of both physical healing and spiritual healing. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we want to pray for each other for victory over sin. Yes, victory in spiritual battles, but also victory over maybe tendencies to sin or weak areas of their life. I know we can come to church 
and we can think, well, I'm perfect. Well, maybe we don't think that, but that's the mask we put on. I can't tell anyone really what's going on. I can't share with anyone things I struggle with. You struggle with stuff. I struggle with stuff. What if we were a community where it was okay in the right setting and with the right circle of friends to say, you know what, I'm struggling with this. Will you pray for me? That's a whole different level of prayer than pray that I do well on a test or in a job interview. Those are good to pray for, but this is essential to pray for. And I love the, the instruction that prayer makes a difference. The prayer of a righteous person availeth much in some translations or is highly effective. So pray for village. Pray for the people at village. Some of the things that I mentioned in there, and I'll just summarize from these verses. Find specific things to thank God for about the church. Pray for unity and community here. Pray that we would share the gospel well and have a good testimony for Jesus in our communities. Pray for the vision of making disciples. Pray that our people would hear the gospel and respond, even in the service, even this morning. We're praying for the mission that God has left us with, the ministry of reconciliation. And then pray for church family. Pray for each other. And, and this is where, you know, start to write down names. Sometimes I'll take the church directory or a list and, and just pray through portions of it every day. Thank God for the people here. And something specific about them. Pray for the whole church family. Pray for any needs you know of. Pray that others would have strength facing spiritual warfare. Pray for each other for opportunities to share the gospel and for boldness. Pray for each other to grow in Christ. And pray for victory over sin. Village, you're part of the family. So one of the responsibilities is to pray for the family, to lift each other up, to not be isolated, but rather lift each other up in prayer. I'd like to spend three minutes and do this right now. And specifically, not so much prayers about each other, but prayers for the church. I'd like to stop and put this into practice and pray for Village and pray for God's work at Village to go forward. And so I just want to bow our heads, and I know that those online won't be able to hear people talk, but just two people, pray for village, and then I'll pray, and then we'll move on to the next one. So let's bow our heads. Two people boldly pray for village and God's work here. Lord God, thank you for village, and I pray that you would help us to be a church that is undistracted from what you want us to do. Help us not to lose sight of that, that we are called to make disciples. And Lord, I pray for our testimony as a church, that our testimony would be pleasing to you, Lord, that we, we people would know us as a church that seeks you, that wants to follow you. Lord, I pray that people would also hear the gospel here and then be trained how to follow you and to, to follow your commands. Lord, I pray that we would not shy away from that, that we would not be a church that just comes for social time and to hang out, but we would see that you want to do so much more with us. And Lord, I pray that you would use 20, us mightily in 2021 in this neighborhood and in each of our communities for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying together. It's one of our responsibilities. Second responsibility, letter B, is we share in the responsibilities of the church by sharing Christ with those who do not know him and inviting them to attend. And so this is something where it can be easy to say, okay, 
Sharing the gospel, that's the pastor's job. Inviting people to attend, hey, let's, let's work on a marketing committee for that. But if we're sharing in the responsibilities, we have to understand it is the responsibility of every Christian to share Christ with others. It is the responsibility of every Christian to share the good news and to bring people into the family of God. It is my responsibility, but it's not just my responsibility. Make sense? And so we share in this, and there's a ton of verses we can look at that we'll look at some of today. We know even from our talk on being undistracted that our main thing in in 2 Corinthians 5.18 is we're given the ministry of reconciliation. We know the Great Commission which is, is go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that baptizing them is equivalent to inviting them into the body. And, and, and so this is something we're called to do. This is who we are. But I, I want to look at some other verses this morning that maybe give us some examples, give us some ideas, motivate us. John 1, 45 and 46. John 1, 45 and 46, and I love this story because it's sort of how it should happen. And this is Jesus calling disciples and people coming to Jesus. And, and in this case, <laughs> in this case, Philip has met Jesus, and he's like, this is the Messiah. This is awesome. And so he goes and tells Nathaniel about him, and, and it says, Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel's answer, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Which is sort of a saying of the time, because Nazareth was not the high-class town that um, you would think. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said, and I love this response, come and see. Come and see. And so you have the telling and the inviting there, right? And, and the telling Nathaniel didn't even answer, and so Philip switched gears here and said, okay, come and see. Talk to him. And, and for us, that, that, that's a great idea is we can share the gospel, and we should share the gospel, but also use the church family to say, come and see. Come and, come and hear the gospel. Come and see us worship. Come and see us care for each other. And that are, those are ways, just real practical ideas, of how we can begin to invite and bring people in and do this. Sometimes we can get so scared of evangelism and outreach. Because what if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know what to say? But this is the most important thing people can hear. This is huge. And so sometimes I've just got to cross the, the uncomfortableness and say, I'm going to bring it up. Sometimes it's just, just a great way is to invite them to something. I, ladies, there's a escape the grind coming up, right? Is that this week? Ladies, that's a great way to invite a neighbor or a friend and say, hey, do you like coffee? Probably tea there too, I would imagine, some other things. <laughs> Why don't you come with me to, to this thing we have for some women at our church? So it may not even be Sunday morning, but part of community, part of being the church is having those opportunities to bring people to. I, I see people all the time bringing friends and family to church service and, and worshiping together. And yeah, if they've never been to church, they can be like, what are these songs about? Or what's he talking about? But then as we see the beauty of Scripture and what Jesus has done for us and how God loves us and sent his son to die for us, oh, it opens eyes. And it opens doors to God wanting to bring us into his family. And so even this example of Philip and Nathaniel, I, I like this one a lot. Because I'm like, I can say, come and see. 
I can do that. And, and that's, not even, that's not even that threatening. Um, 1 Peter 3.15, a, a verse that's often used. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I, I love that Peter is the one adding that caveat at the end. He's grown. He's learned some things. But this is a challenge to be prepared for opportunities. If we believe in the hope of Jesus Christ, if we live in the hope of Jesus Christ, instead of despair and fear that can happen, people are going to ask, what's wrong with you? Be prepared to answer them. Say, well, actually, I don't have to be depressed. I know my hope is in Jesus Christ. He's on the throne. He died on the cross. He took care of my sins. He offered me forgiveness. He's taking care of the, the junk in my life. So I can hope in him. And so this is a call to be prepared. D.T. Niles had this quote, which I just love for this. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We all need, we need the gospel. We all need to find bread. And so really, the, the verse in 1 Peter 3.15 says, be prepared to tell your story for the hope you have in Jesus Christ. And that is an effective tool of evangelism. Luke 14, 23, and this is a passage that in your, in your quiet time verses to reflect on this week, I have the whole passage because it's so powerful. But um, Jesus is telling a parable about a master that wants people to come to the banquet. And he's talking about people coming into the kingdom of God. And in Luke 14, 23, he says, And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. Because he's lamenting that some don't want to come into the Messiah. Some don't want to believe in Jesus. They don't want the free gift of salvation and forgiveness. And so he says, let's get others. And, and God's heart is for his church to be filled. Village, God's heart is for more people to come to Christ and be part of our family. And that's the heart that we want to have. You know, part of this, we're in the context of church family in this, this sermon series. Think about the community aspect of evangelism. And I've talked about this briefly from time to time. Do you know that we can help each other share the gospel? If I bring a, a friend, if I bring someone, a neighbor or something to church, you guys are now part of my evangelistic effort. How you treat them is part of it. You know, it, that could be good, that could be bad. How you act with each other is part of that. You guys make a difference. You know, I, I've seen people that have had parties at their house and invite church family. We've done this before at Christmas time. And you invite like half church family and half people from the neighborhood that don't know Christ. And then you just sit back and watch. And it's awesome. Um, because what we're doing then, by going to those things where someone is trying to reach out to their neighborhood, we are now encouraging their work of evangelism. We are helping each other. And so when we think of evangelism sharing the gospel, Oh, get beyond just sharing it alone and realize the power of sharing it together. And if, if the main thing's the main thing, if we're undistracted in that, then we will be finding ways to do that. We will be finding ways to share the gospel, to be missionaries of a sort to our community. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I love this quote too, a Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's it. That's the whole quote. 
when I first read it, I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, that's too convicting. There's got to be more. A Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. And, and, you know, I'm not trying to deal with whether we're all missionaries or whether that's a, a special class. That's a different discussion. He's saying we either are, are concerned about sharing the gospel or we're not really following Christ. And that is part of our responsibility. Letter C, third responsibility of being part of church family and being participating in the responsibility. We, part- we share in the responsibility by warmly welcoming those who visit. By warmly welcoming those who visit. It is a precious thing when I see someone that's maybe here for the first time and there's five people around them and I can't get to them because people are caring about them and finding out information or, or just just welcoming them. Romans 12, 9, 13, we'll look at, at, at the first two verses and the, the last one there. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Those are familiar verses that we've talked about loving each other. In that same context, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints, okay, and seek to show hospitality. And it's just right in there with loving one another. Oh, seek to ho- show hospitality. And now, now one of the things is we can think of, okay, I can show hospitality. You know what? I'm going to invite my parents over for dinner. I'm showing hospitality in the body of Christ. You know that's not what this word means. Now, that's good. You know, love your parents, honor your parents. That's good, but that's not what it means. You know, maybe we have Glenn and Sharon over for dinner. That, that's, not what the, that's the first part of this, of, of brotherly affection. The word here is very specific for showing hospitality. It's kindness to a stranger. And so built into this word is show hospitality to someone you don't know very well. Someone that's newer. And, and, it, and it comes from the Middle Eastern culture of when a guest came into your house or if a traveler went by, you invited them in, you fed them, and you treated them as family. And so this word means to treat a stranger as family. And so what does that look like in the body of Christ? Because that's really cool. It's really hard, but, but it's really cool. It, it means bringing them into our circle, bringing them into our discussions, making them feel a part of what is going on. Some of the Hebrew idioms for this word for hospitality, to let a stranger sit at one's table, to offer a bed to a stranger, to let a stranger enter one's house. Now, we aren't oriented to this kind of hospitality, right? We're very individualistic. I don't see strangers very often and say, you know what, why don't you take my kid's bed? <laughs> or my bed. <laughs> but this idea of hospitality should be part of who we are as the family of Christ. We share in the responsibilities by warmly welcoming those who visit. And so we should be looking around on Sunday morning and every event for ways to welcome and bring people into our circles and to have them feel accepted. Accepted is another word that's often used here. So let's just say that, that 10 of you ladies do invite a, a neighbor or something to it's a grind on, on is it Tuesday? Thursday? <laughs> Tuesday. I'm not going. Think about that for a minute. Um, so let's say 10 of you ladies invite someone on Tuesday night. They come. What happens 
if the whole night they sit by themselves in the corner? They won't come again, right? And I, and I know I'm, I'm talking to and people online, maybe not everyone is part of Village Family here, so we're talking as a family. You can see what we're about. They won't come again, and so there is a, a community responsibility to welcome those who visit. You know, if, if they come and they only sit with the person that brought them, they're still not coming back. They can do that in other circles. And so can we be aware, and, and, and so many times I think this starts not with a desire to. I, I believe Village has an incredible desire to welcome those that come. But sometimes where I think we struggle is being aware of, of people that come. Because we're caught up in, in ministries which are good, but we need to be aware. And, and what I <coughs> sorry, that cough. What I appreciate is some of you have the gift of hospitality, and you spur some of us to love and good deeds. You're like, hey, why didn't anyone talk to them? I'm like, oh. And we need you. We need that gift. We need that gift to be vocal and say, hey, how are we doing? Are we leaving people alone? Um, Romans 15:7 uses a different word. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, who adopted us into his family, if we're wondering how Christ welcomed us, for the glory of God. And that word for welcome means to take along with oneself. To bring someone along. Hey, come with me. Sit with me. Hey, you know what? We're, we're having burgers afterwards. We aren't today, but when we did. Why don't you stay and eat with my family? Those are ideas of welcoming and, and reaching out and showing hospitality to each other. There's, there's an example. Sometimes I look for verses that use the same word in an example that helps me. Acts 28.2. Now, I know you all are right on top of the context of Acts 28, but what has just happened is Paul was just involved in a shipwreck again, and, and they barely escape with their lives, and they get, up, get to the island of Malta, and so they're shipwrecked on Malta, and this is what Paul writes. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all. He used the same word there, because it had begun to rain and was cold. And so they show up, shipwrecks, stragglers. They don't know whether you know, who these people are. And the people are building them fires. They're, they're giving them shelter out of the rain and cold, warming them up, meeting their needs. What a great, making them comfortable. What a great way to illustrate welcoming. So, so welcoming, like I said, we're, we do this together. This is a shared responsibility. In fact, it takes a crew. Um, it means to consider others and consider what's going on around me over self and what I plan and what I want to do and looking around. It's family thinking versus individual thinking, which is so much of this sermon series is about trying to think group and family and what is best for the family instead of what do I want or what's best for me. And so we want to think about this diligently. You know, one of the things that we've chosen to keep as part of our service that a lot of churches are dropping is our greet time. And I know greet time, there's a lot of feelings on it and a lot of opinions. If you're an introvert, it's the worst part of our service. If you're an extrovert, it's the best part of your ser the service. But we as an elder board have chosen to keep the greet time and challenge us as a church body to be intentional with it. To be intentional, to don't just stand up, look around, and sit down. Don't just stand up and talk to someone I've already talked to five times in the morning and sit down, but to use it as an opportunity to welcome people into the family. Welcome people here. 
And so during that time, look for someone you don't connect with often. Look for someone that, that maybe is new to village or newer to village, or maybe you just haven't met. And, and it can be as simple as saying hello and introducing yourself. Glad you're here this morning. It doesn't have to be a half-hour conversation about the deep things of life. In fact, no, because we want to get on with the service. So this is just a light hello, but connecting with people. You know, if, if, if they are new to Village, questions like, have you found everything you need? Is there anything I can help you with? Um, find a point of connection. If it's a couple with kids, that's always a great thing to talk about. Parents love to talk about their kids. But get to know them a little bit. For those that you maybe know a little better, you just haven't talked to, if we want to put letter A into practice, you could even in that time say, hey, is there something I can pray for you about this week? Something I can pray for you about? These are ways to take that greet time, and I know it's only three to five minutes in our planning center, but to start to use it more intentionally rather than just a break in the service because we've got to somehow get the kids out of the service. That's eh, not what it needs to be about. It needs to be about so much more. You know, it might be an opportunity to help, help a family. Maybe a, a, a mom and dad whose kids have just gone ten different ways and they only have three kids. Maybe you can help corral, help them out. Introverts, I know it's hard, so maybe just pick one person. Extroverts, limit it to ten. But let's use that time intentionally to adopt as many people into the family. Letter D, I share in the responsibilities at Village or of Church by giving regularly of my time, energy, and resources. By giving regularly of my time, energy, and resources. And, and you might be sitting there saying, oh no, I knew this would come. This is the money responsibility. It's not what this is about, guys. Because it is about giving ourselves to the shared responsibility of the church, our time, our energy, our commitment to the family. Quite frankly, I don't, I don't really want my kids' allowance money to pay for our meals as a family. I want their time and energy to show that they love family and are part of family and what we're doing. That's what I'm looking for. Now, yes, we have scriptural instructions to give our resources and to trust God with that as a way of worship to God and honoring God and saying, this is all yours anyway, God, and so I'm just giving part of it back to you to use for the mission. But this is about a heart that says, my time and energy are going to be devoted to that mission. You know, I, Jesus confronted this with the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 23. See, they would tithe. They, they would give exactly trust me, probably to the penny, exactly what they needed to give. And Jesus like, no, you're missing the whole point. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's saying, he's, he's not saying to stop tithing of, of, of resources, but he's saying, man, your heart needs to be there. You need to be giving to, and, and participating in the mission. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and we don't have time to go through that whole thing. Again, that'll be in your, your quiet time notes for the week. This is the story of the talents. And Jesus says a master's going on a journey, and he gives one, one servant five talents, one two, and one one. And 
says, go, go use these. And these represented, represent all of our, our resources and energies and time. Everything God has given us, and, and the one that had five got five more because he used it for the king. And the one that had two used two more. And the one that had one just buried it and didn't use his, himself, herself, resources for the king. And Jesus used these words to talk about them. You wicked and slothful servant. A little later, he cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. Those are sobering words. But God wants every part of us. He doesn't want just one little aspect. He wants every part of us to be sold out for him. To be sold out for him. We can do more for God by pooling our time, energy, and resources than we can do alone. Make sense? Think living nativity. How many of you could pull off living nativity by yourself? Love to see it. <laughs> and there's no way. And, and in fact, that was one of the events that we looked at as a church and said, I'm not sure we can pull it off as a church either. But because people give their time and their energy and their efforts into that, we've been able to share the gospel for many, many years. And, and Lord willing, we'll be back doing it this year. It's just a great example of what can happen when we pool our time, our energy, and our resources. Letter E, the last point. We share in the responsibility of God's church by studying God's word and helping others in the church family grow spiritually. By studying God's word and helping others in the church family grow spiritually. The first passage there is the Great Commission, familiar. And I know we keep coming back to that. That's because that's the Great Commission. That's the main thing. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the welcoming and bringing them into the body. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Who's to do the teaching here? Who's the Great Commission for? Let me, let me change that, that question. For every believer, for every disciple, he says, now go teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And we can say, well, it's just for the 12. The thing is, if the 12 make disciples, then those are to copy what they're doing, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, and so we are all to be making disciples, but we're all to be teaching others to observe all that, I've command, that Jesus has commanded us. Now, so we have a responsibility to teach each other. Doesn't mean that we all have the responsibility to preach up front. It doesn't mean that we all have the responsibility to teach a class. But in our interactions in making discipleship, we all have a responsibility to help each other grow spiritually. Now, here's the question of the day, because I know we need to end. If you aren't living for God yourself, and if you don't know God's word, can you teach it effectively to others? No. No. How many of you, if you were learning how to drive, would go to someone that has never driven before for lessons? No. Some of you might have medical procedures th this year. How many of you would just really love it if I went in and instructed the surgeon how to do that procedure? No, that would be stupid, right? Because I have nothing in my wealth, of, or in my knowledge, to, to contribute to that discussion because I haven't been there before. So if we're to fulfill this responsibility of helping others grow spiritually, there is an implied responsibility that I need to be in the word and I need to be growing spiritually.
You know, I, I, I sometimes laugh when kids cheat in school and they cheat off the worst student in the class. No, no, if you're going to cheat, cheat off someone that knows what they're, no, don't cheat. But, but I mean, there, there's, there's some, some wisdom there. That's what we're getting at when we say by, we share in the work by studying God's word and helping others in the church family grow spiritually. We see this in the Second Timothy passage, but I want to jump down to the Romans 15, 14 passage and end with this. I myself am satisfied about you brothers. Paul is ending his, his um, book to this church. I'm satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That verse is what we're talking about. Full of goodness. You're walking with God. You're growing with God. Your relationship with God is important. Filled with knowledge. You're actually studying God's word and effectively understanding it. That's the 2 Timothy 2.15 passage. Study to, pr- to show yourself approved by God. That we need to know God's word. And then finally, instructing one another. What a beautiful verse about our responsibility to the church. To walk with God, study God's word, help others walk with God. So I end with the question. Do you have something to offer, church family, from your spiritual walk? From your reading of the word? Or has that been neglected? Let's take this responsibility seriously and start by making sure we have something to offer. Because we're in God's word. We're excited about walking with God. We know what he's doing. And then we can offer that to others. Chores are responsibilities. These are not things to agonize over doing. This is part of what makes a family work. And so let's pray for the family. Let's share the gospel. Let's study God's word and help others. And let's be be about these things that build a strong family. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, thank you that you've made us family. Thank you that we are not alone in this. And Lord, help us to step up to the plate and share in the responsibilities of the ministry of reconciliation you have given us. Because Lord, there is rejoicing in heaven when a soul comes to you. And there is such beauty when we expand the church family to include more. Lord, help us to keep that at the top of our minds, the main things, and share in that. Lord, I pray that we would show maturity by being part of what you're doing at Village and by contributing to that. Lord, I lift this body up to you, that you would protect from spiritual battles, that you would provide victory over sin so we can be lights for you and people will see our good works and glorify you. Lord, thank you for your word, for your instruction, in your name.